What's happening to Venice? The historic and beautiful city they called La Serenissima includes more than 100 small islands divided by its famous canals. But the city's population is a third of what it used to be back in the 1950s. However, you'd never tell by the swarms of tourists that choke the squares and the pathways of the city. That's precisely what our next guest argues is Venice's problem. Some people call him the conscience of Italy. Dr. Salvatore Settis is an emeritus professor of classical art and archaeology at one of Italy's most important graduate schools in Pisa. He's recently published an analysis of what's threatening to turn Venice into a theme park and the damage that unchecked tourism can still do to one of Europe's most iconic cities. His book is called If Venice Dies, and it serves as a warning for other cities, too. Professor Settis, thanks for being with us on Travel with Rick Steves. Thank you for inviting me. Doctor, if you were asked to come in and diagnose the health of Venice, what would the diagnosis be? The diagnosis would be, unfortunately, that it is in great danger now, great danger of losing its own soul, which is the first step in order to lose its own life. Therefore, the title of my book, Venice Dies, 2.6 people are leaving the city every single day now. I think that when something like this happens, uh, we should be all extremely concerned, whatever the city would be, but particularly such an important place for uh, historical memory of the world and, and not just of itself, like Venice. So the population is going down. Is that the disease itself or is that a symptom of the disease? I think it is a symptom of the disease and it contributes to the disease itself because many people who are actually going out of Venice and are going to live somewhere else, they then come back daily, on a daily basis, to work in Venice. This means that they cannot afford uh, a home in Venice because now living in the city is really too expensive. You have to be relatively wealthy in order to actually live in the city itself. And uh, the city is becoming a, a city of second homes. Many, many people, particularly wealthy people from all over the world, there were many Americans in, in the past, but now they are the newcomers, such as Russians or uh, Chinese, who are buying homes, spectacular homes on the, on the Grand Canal. But then they are living there for very short times. According to an official statistic of the city of Venice, people who, who have a second home in, in, in Venice, on average, stay there for two and a half days mm. a year. In a year. Which is not really being a citizen of Venice. And it's not good for the um, economy or the fabric of the town. As you said, the soul is dying when this happens. I know there are cities, uh, resorts up in the Alps, for instance, in Switzerland, where the government has actually prohibited people from turning the whole city into vacation condos because, of course, then there's no community. And rich people come in two weeks out of the year. Apparently that's happening in Venice also. In your book, you talk about how there's one resident for every 140 visitors. You talk about the tourist monoculture. What is tourist monoculture? Tourist monoculture is the idea that the only possible source of revenue and therefore of life for Venetians is tourism. That this city where uh, historically there have been a lot of inventions from uh, the painting of Titian to the music of Vivaldi now would be unable to create anything except for being in the service of tourists. Now, tourism is certainly a very good thing, and I would not uh, not discourage tourists from going to Venice, but I also think that centering everything on tourism and, and claiming that tourism is the only possible source of revenue for any city, including Venice, I think this would be perverse. 
is that related to losing your soul? You become a, sort of an adult Disneyland. Yes, because actually I think cities in general, and Venice in particular, were not created for tourists. They were created for citizens. And then the reason why tourists go to Venice is that citizens of Venice were able over many centuries to create the Venice we know, to create a Venice that is full of imagination, full of inventions, full of life. And we don't have to reduce this city to a backdrop for a sort of of Disneyland. Venice will not be, should not be a theme park as it tends to be now. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Dr. Salvatore Settis. His book is If Venice Dies. And Mimi's calling in from Fambel in Pennsylvania. Mimi, thanks for your call. You're welcome. I have been hearing all my life, ever since I visited Venice in 1963, that it is sinking. And I personally have seen St. Mark's Square on New Water, and I know it happens very frequently. I am aware of the protests by the locals who live there against the ships being allowed, and I'm basically in agreement with that on the large ships. However, I'm also very sure that a lot of the tourism is from those very ships. So we do plan, that is my husband and I, to visit again soon on a Star Clippers ship. But my main question is, what can I and the general public do to save this historic city? Well, so first of all, let's talk about the sinking of Venice. Dr. Sedis, is Venice actually sinking? Is that something that is a new problem? Is it accelerating? And and what does that mean? Well, the great problems of of climate change and uh, rising sea level, that's not a problem that that is proper to Venice. This is a, a global problem. But of course, in Venice, it is more dramatic than anywhere else in the world, probably, because Venice historically has always suffered from its vicinity to the sea and from its being based on the sea itself or rather on the lagoon. Now, one point that it is very important to keep in mind, though, is that uh, what's going on in Venice with those gigantic mega ships is actually accelerating the process. And that uh, when uh, a, a first uh, sub-canal was excavated in the lagoon in the 1960s in order to allow big ships to enter, big ships which were much smaller than the big ships of now, afterwards there was the great flood of 50 years ago. And now some uh, local authorities would like to dig another canal, which would be a disaster for the lagoon. So I think that we should be much more careful in looking at, uh, at Venice's problem. What can we do, as Mimi from Pennsylvania just asked? I think that information, good information, uh, sound information about how things are going is very important, that a public opinion is critically important to convince Italian authorities to move to a different direction, particularly American public opinion is, of course, the most important in the world. We're talking about this massive cruise industry, and it's, it's hard to wish it away. I, I see on the cover of your book, Dr. Settis, you've got this giant cruise ship that dwarfs uh, the Doge's Palace, cutting right across in the basin in front of Campo San Marco. You know, I've been there, and, and the ship is twice as tall as the Doge's Palace. Now, of course, that brings in thousands of tourists that just stampede in and then they stampede out. They don't buy dinner and they don't spend a night there, so they don't leave a lot of money. It also has an impact, I believe, on the fragile ecosystem of the lagoon. What is the impact of these huge cruise ships on the fragile ecosystem of the lagoon that Venice has to live in balance with? 
this huge mega ships discharge a lot of of material such as benzopyrene which is which is very dangerous it's very very difficult to get official statistics about what they are doing but according to some statistics published by by local association for the defense of environment it it seems that certain forms of cancer are more frequent in venice than elsewhere in the same region and this is certainly one point another point is that by moving waters in uh, the lagoon those gigantic cruise ships are actually changing the the balance between the lagoon and the many many islands not just those on which venice is built the many many islands that are on the lagoon itself so the the very movement of the waters is contributing to eroding the stability of venice's thousands or millions of trees on which the city has been built i i know for the case of rome and for florence many cruise visitors come but the the ships are moored or parked far away a 2 hour bus ride away Perhaps Venice could have the cruise industry but eliminate the downside that the ships are causing to the lagoon if the ships were parked further out. Yes, this is one possible solution that has been recommended by by many people according to to some uh, recommendation instead of Venice uh, those ships should go to Trieste and then tourists should come to Venice with Perfect. Uh, on smaller ships that's one of many possible solutions. Mimi, thanks for your call. You're welcome. Thank you. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're speaking with Dr. Salvatore Settis. His book is If Venice Dies. And Dr. Mimi was talking about the rising water. I know there is this famous Aqua Alta project, which is like a series of gates that that rise up when you have the perfect storm of the barometric pressure and a wind and a high tide and rising sea. When it all happens at the same time, you have this unusually high tide, and uh, the city of Venice essentially floods. What is the latest with the Aqua Alta project, and is there hope that they can literally make gates around the lagoon to protect the precious city of Venice from that rising water? Well, this is a very controversial project, which started in the, in the 80s, so a long time ago. And uh, at the time, it was said officially that the project would be ended by over the next five years or so. Now the project is not ended yet, it's under construction, and the cost uh, is much higher than it had been uh, anticipated, and nobody knows whether it will work or not. It's a highly technical problem. The acronym for this project is MOSE. There are those who say that it will work and those who say that it will never work. I hope that sooner or later we will know, because this project is continuously moving its deadline on and on and on. Mm. And unfortunately, in this uh, enormous cost uh, continuously raising, there are significant costs that are due just to corruption. Something like 2 billion euros have been spent Mm. in corruption. What does the word Mose mean? Is that Moses? Well, Mose means something like barrier against uh, Aqua Alta or something. It's an acronym which has uh-huh. been selected for its, uh, because it looks like in Italian to Mose, i.e. Moses. And Moses know, separated with, uh, the water, uh, huh? Moses separating the waters. But uh, the point is that Moses did separate the waters without corruption, I think. He had no corruption to deal with, and uh, right now the waters <laughs> are not being separated. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking with Dr. Salvatore Settis. His book is If Venice Dies. 
Doctor, you had a very interesting chapter in your book about Venice as a thinking machine. And, you know, it's a huge investment to keep Venice uh, vibrant and alive and so future generations can enjoy it and be inspired by it and learn from it. And part of the rationale for respecting the value of Venice is to look at its heritage and what it's offered our civilization. When you say Venice is a thinking machine, uh, what are some examples of that? What did you mean by that? I mean that Venice is the supreme example now of the historic city because it is the only city in the world or or one of the very few cities in in the world, certainly the most famous, where you are forced to move by foot. It's a city uh, where the relationship between the body of the citizen, the body of the individual, and the body of the city is is crafted according to a balance, to a harmony that almost everywhere else is lost by gigantic construction, by the verticalization of architecture, by the mega cities, and so forth and so mm. on. So being in Venice means being somewhere else. You are in, in our contemporary world, but at the same time you feel sensations that are closer to those that other human beings like yourself or me could have felt uh, 200 years ago. And I think that uh, simply this experience of experiencing the space and the architecture this way is something that could help you think about what Mm. the real shape of a city could be for future generations. The problem is that now in our globalized world, which might be the function of, of Venice. We, we have to look for a new function. We cannot reduce Venice to a theme park by which we would visit the city and uh, think nostalgically about its right. past. This is not enough. Its past has to be in some way useful for our future. And I think that this is the real challenge we have to address. So, Dr. Setis, if you were the uh, director of tourism and you had unlimited budget and no corruption... How would you fix the city? I think the first thing to do would be to invent policies in order to reduce the number of second homes, precisely as they did in Switzerland. By putting a cap, you cannot have uh, more than 20% second homes in a given city. This would be extremely easy, and it's difficult for me to understand why it has not been done. I would think Airbnb is a related challenge. Yeah, Airbnb, but I think that uh, in order to do something uh, positively in favor of the city itself, policies should be developed in order to encourage young people to stay in, uh, in Venice or to move to Venice, to stay there, to live there, to live there their, mm-hmm. their full life, and, and encourage policies to uh, create new jobs. Dr. Setis, so many people love Venice. It's a beloved city. Yet half of the people who visit Venice probably do so on a big cruise ship. Uh, How would you recommend people who want to see Venice, who arguably are part of the problem, how can we enjoy Venice but not be part of the problem? How can we be part of the solution? Well, I think that being part of the solution means, first of all, being aware of the problems. That's certainly the first step. Otherwise, uh, you cannot do uh, anything else. Then, if if you really want to visit Venice... Uh, you might go on a cruise ship or not, but you should put as a as a condition to the tourist company who sells the tickets that you don't want to enter the Grand Canal on the cruise ship itself. If the cruise ship stops somewhere else, you are happy to go to Venice with other means, or you can simply arrive to Venice by plane or by train, which is quite easy. These cruise ships 
go in front of the Doge's palace just for the spectacle. They can get to the just port without the doing spectacle. that. Just for the spectacle. So if there was a concern that this became politically uh, incorrect or destructive for Venice, cruise ships might find it was in there. They might yes. think it's good for their business not to disturb the basin in front of the Doge's palace. If an increasing number of, uh, of potential tourists would say, well, I'm happy to be in your ship, but I don't want to enter the Grand Canal on your ship. You, you put your ship somewhere else, otherwise I will not buy my ticket. I think that this would really help. Dr. Salvatore Setis, thank you so much for your book, If Venice Dies. Best wishes with your work. And let's just pretend uh, you and I are in Venice and uh, we're walking around. It's the evening. Uh, where would you take me just to make sure that I really appreciate the beautiful city of Venice? I, I would take in one of the places which are much less of a tourist destination, let's say on the, in the church of San Giovanni in Bragora, which is not very far from the Doge's Palace, which is the church where uh, Antonio Vivaldi has been baptized. And it's a small church, unpretentious, but filled with works by, by Venetian masters and by the music of uh, Vivaldi, which is constantly there. So this is the true soul of Venice, which is still there if you only want to find it. Dr. Salvatore Setis, uh, author of If Venice Dies, Mille Grazie and Buon Lavoro. Thank you. Thank you so much. Each year, Rick Steves Tour Guides take thousands of free-spirited travelers on escorted tours through Europe, one small group at a time. This year, you can choose from more than 40 different vacations in Europe's best destinations, from Ireland to Greece, and practically everywhere in between. Begin your next trip at ricksteves.com.